Amen. Thank you, piano ladies and choir. We appreciate our musicians so much. Well, last week, if you weren't with us, we started to look at the prodigal son parable. We've been looking at family passages, and we bridged from that into the prodigal son story that probably you're familiar with. Uh, Many of you have heard that many, many times and very familiar with the story. Uh, People who have never read the book of Luke have heard about prodigals and the prodigal son. A remarkable story, uh, I think, is Jesus' best attempt to communicate spiritual truth to us by way of parable. And he sets this down, this illustration down for us that most people can relate to. It's a home with at least two children, two sons, and the younger son becomes what we call the prodigal. And we noted last week that prodigal is not necessarily wicked sinful. The word comes out of a a Latin word into our English, and it has to do with waste or wasting your life. And the younger son, who's never going to be in charge of the household, his big brother's going to do all of that. He's going to have a lesser inheritance. He he just, I want mine now. I want to go and do my own thing. I don't want to spend my whole life uh, building things up for big brother. I just want to go do my own thing. I have my own chance at life. And the father granted that to him, allows him to go away. And the Bible said that he squandered what he uh, had been entrusted with. It was foolish living. Uh, It's... uh, Obviously, the problem for the character in the story, but it's pretty much a universal thing. We've all been there to some degree at some point in our lives. And somewhere in the midst of that, when he's feeding the pigs, we noted last week, that means it's in a foreign country outside of Jewish territory. He's feeding the pigs and he's hungry and he's thinking, even the worst guy in my father's household has got it better than this. And he decides to go home. And that's where we left off last week. And so I want to pick up on that and see what happens. We focus especially on the prodigal, the the waster of life last week. But now he goes home to his father. I said last week this parable can serve us in two ways. It can serve us as a teaching about who God is and what God's like and what God calls us to and how God makes a relationship with him possible. And the This parable is primarily about that. It's first of all about that. Jesus is teaching through two parables just before this. And in continuing into this, he's teaching about the gospel, about the amazing grace that you just heard in song and you sang along with. And God's remarkable, incredible grace, undeserved merit. So here comes Jesus's third parable of chapter 15, talking about that grace. What would he expect when he went home? What might happen when he finally shows his face back up? You can imagine the embarrassment, the shame, the fear, all the questions in this guy's head. Now he had, we saw last week, come up with a speech that he was going to make when he got home. And he was going to go in, he was going to say, Father, I have sinned. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. We remember, we we noted this sort of the twofold nature of our sins today. We sin, and it hurts people, but we're also sinning against God. But he comes in, uh, he's got this message in his head that we looked at last week. I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, that's what he had rehearsed. That's what he had planned. And so here he comes into verse 20. So he got up 
And he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And I think the reason the father sees him a long ways off is the father's looking from a long ways off. He's filled with compassion. The father's heart is stirred by the very sight of his returning son. Oh, the, the, the hours, the days he had spent looking for this possibility. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. What a beautiful sight. You've heard that so many times. It's, uh, but boy, hear it again for the first time. This is intended to communicate to you and to me what God's like. And he sees you coming from a ways off. And he races to you and embraces you. Verse 21, and the son said to him, here's his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. There's a lot of theological truth in that. Jesus, well, we know who Jesus is. And there are no wasted words when Jesus speaks and when Luke records the words of Jesus. And he talks about worth and it, it raises this question, who is worthy? If this prodigal is no longer worthy, who is worthy? And the Bible says none of us are worthy. For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Jesus wants us to arrive at that conclusion by way of parable. None of us are worthy to be called sons and daughters of the living God. But in the parable, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, he didn't correct his statement. He just plows through it. He jumps right over it and goes to the main thing. The father said to the slaves, quickly, Bring out the robe, the best robe, and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. He, and there are two places in there, the way Luke writes it. He says, bring out the robe. I mean, the first one, the best one, not the first one in the closet. The best of them. This is not a time for, for lags or rags. This is find the best we got and put it on his back and kill the calf. I mean the fatted calf, the best of them. I guess it was veal, something they were going to prepare that day. But this is an expensive meal. We are going to celebrate. This is going to be a party. My son is home. Let us do these things. Treat him like a, a guest of honor. For the son of mine was dead. He was not physically dead, but it was, it, was, it was really worse than that. The son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. And they, everybody, now Big Brother is another story for next week, but Everybody that's there and senses the heart of the Father celebrates. And it's a really big deal for you and me when we read this parable. Our biggest risk is being too familiar with this parable and losing the message and losing the wonder. You and I need to be moved by the fact that the Father is profoundly excited and rejoicing, and everybody around him picks up on that, and they get it. We're supposed to respond 
like he is. We celebrate this great homecoming. It's an awesome time. Now, I want us to to walk through the character of the father. We focused on the son last week. I want us to just think about this father for the next few minutes. Some things that are true of him that teach us about God, the heart of God, the heart of the grace, of amazing grace, the heart of a God who extends to us unmerited favor, what he's like, and then our spinoff use of the parable, what does this say to us as fathers or as parents or as members of the church family? First of all, this father is fair. Everything he does is fair. We're reading through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. Where we, we missed it last Wednesday night in the storm, but we'll get back to it. But we've worked our way through about 11 chapters and it's amazing with all the judgments falling, how the, the multitudes continue to hate God and reject God. And uh, they do everything but what they're supposed to do. You come all the way down to the end of chapter 11. And finally, you get some small glimpse of repentance there and brokenness before God. But you go through a lot of stuff to get there. When all is said and done. At the end of the book of Revelation, at the end of your life and mine, at the end of the age, no one, no one will be able to say of God, he wasn't fair. We don't have to understand everything now. We don't have to understand everything then. But it will be clear that our God, our awesome God, is a fair God. And he operates with absolute justice. Of all the attributes of God, central to his character are his, his love and his holiness and his justice. And he is absolutely fair and just and righteous. And the character of that God shines through the Father in this parable. The second thing I want us to see about this Father is that he's available. Peter, about 35 years after walking with Jesus, writes, and I take First and Second Peter to be the works of Simon Peter, and he writes in there, God is not slow. He's, he's writing in chapter 3 of Second Peter about coming judgment and people begin to say no everything just like it's always been that's never going to happen and people around you today would say that not in here but out there people that you'll cross paths with would say oh yeah Jesus is never coming again there'll never be an end it's just going to rock along be this the same old same old and Peter says no it's not like that there will be an end but God is being slow on purpose he's long-suffering he's uh He's uh, patient with you and me and with mankind. And Peter says, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Peter begins to paint for us in that letter, this picture of a God who's looking for your response, for your heart. Uh, he's uh, anticipating your return, my return, or, and it may be for for giving your life to Christ for the very first time if you've never become a Christian. Isn't it an exciting thought that you can be a non-Christian and God in glory, a perfect God, can be looking for you to turn to Him and excited about the prospects of that. For the many of you that have known Jesus for a long time, isn't it an exciting thought to know that when you mess up, your heavenly Father is looking for you to turn to Him that He might restore you and encourage you and bless you. Yesterday, I 
when I have nothing to do and I was between ball games or something and I, I turned on a, a YouTube about the Tudors, the English monarchs. I know, you think, who, why would anybody watch one of those? But, uh, so I, I was looking at this YouTube video, just a few minutes of it, about Mary I. She was Henry VIII's first daughter. And her mom was treated terribly by Henry VIII. And she's dethroned and replaced by, well, one of her servants. And she leaves behind Mary, her daughter Mary. The king treats her very specially early in life. And then that deteriorates. And, and Mary finds herself replaced and uh, just like her mom was. And she's sort of just existing. And in the YouTube... Uh, the, the teacher's talking about Mary writing a letter to Henry VIII. Boisterous, obnoxious, uh, crazy Henry VIII. She writes him a letter, Dear Dad. She didn't say Dad, I don't think. but she, Dear Dad, what can we do about our relationship? I'm really roughly paraphrasing, but that's really what she writes. What can we do to, to, to maybe get things right? Her mother is now passed away. What can we do to have some kind of father-daughter relationship? And there's no communication between the two of them. And she sends that letter to Cromwell, who's supposed to get it to the king so that he'll read it, so that maybe somehow some little small part of him will act like a father. And predictably, Henry VIII fails the test. And Mary never experiences a dad like a dad's supposed to be. And Mary grows up someday after that to become queen in 1553. And she becomes Bloody Mary. And with, with the void of that fatherly influence and the love that she needed to feel growing up, she becomes a terror to many of the great Protestant reformers and Bible translators. Missed opportunity. I was reading recently and Samuel, First uh, and Second Samuel are the story of King David and his family members and woven into the fabric of that story is the tragic story of Absalom. Absalom is described by the Bible as a big guy with lots of long hair and he's the most handsome guy in the land and he's a smooth talker and everybody's impressed by Absalom and Absalom intervenes when something terrible is done to his sister and his father is negligent in responding to those, uh, those issues and Absalom ends up in exile, and he communicates secondhand communication to his father, David. Is there any way I can come home? Is there any way we can make this right? And finally, David says, yeah, let him come home. Yeah, let, bring him back. And he comes back into the land, back to Jerusalem. And he, but David says, but, but let him go to his house, not mine. Let him go to his house, and he can set up shop again and, and operate. And Absalom eventually sends a message to his father, King David, the great King David. And he says, you know, it's, it's one thing to be allowed back in town, but it would almost be better if that had not occurred, if you're not even going to talk to me. If you're not going to accept me back into sonship, if we can't repair our relationship, it would be better that I had never returned. And King David fails the test again. And that Absalom ends up leading a rebellion against his father, the king. It's a sad story. 
When Absalom finally dies in battle, David is told, and then finally David says, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, Absalom. And he's deeply grieved because he fails so miserably as a father. The Bible preserves that story very carefully for us that we might learn from it. But the, the parable of the prodigal years later coming from Jesus says, don't be like David, be like Jesus, be like the prodigal's father who's there, who's available, who cares, who can't wait to set right the relationship. And maybe you've got a mom or a dad or or relatives and they're not what they need to be and they don't want to build bridges they want to build walls and they want to pout and whatever and just work at it forgive be gracious and reach third thing i want to say quickly about this father is that he is openly affectionate and most american dads are not good at this tragically that's just uh, they they have a hard time uh, hugging let alone kissing this guy kisses his son uh, that was part of their culture. Uh, we, in our culture, have a hard time even just hugging, you know, just basic stuff. Some of you have no problem with that. But, uh, but this dad races and he embraces that son and kisses him and greets him home. Say, like, you are home and I'm excited that you're here. I mentioned the... Uh, the lady who saw me in the airport in London a few weeks ago, remember what I was talking about a year ago, and I mentioned her a couple of weeks ago in a message. Her husband, Jeff, died at age 29 over outside of Millen driving a log truck like you see driving through town here. And the, he dodged an oncoming truck to avoid killing a family and a car. And he took the, the crash himself, and his truck flipped, and, and Jeff died. Very sad story. Uh, Jeff's mom passed away last year, and I went over for her funeral. His dad, William, uh, has a picture in the living room, a little eight and a half by 11 picture, and in the picture is Jesus dressed in a robe and a young man in blue jeans and a shirt, and they're embracing and William got that picture 30 years ago, and it's been sitting in the living room ever since. And the picture is there is to describe this story that Jesus told about a prodigal who came home and found a father whose arms were open wide to receive him. And there's this huge hug going on between Jesus and this individual who's come home to heaven, home to glory. And every day for 30 years, Williams looked at that and said, someday that's going to be me and Jeff, and we're going to hug. That family is the most affectionate family I've ever known. And every night they would call each other late at night and say, just want to say good night. I love you. I'll see you in the morning. And they'd hang up. And they, they did that for years, whether they had anything to say or not. It's a really cool thing, really neat. And now, uh, at the funeral 30 years ago, at Jeff's funeral, we talked about, we'll see Jeff in the morning. And there'll be this incredible reunion. And Jesus deliberately tells this story to say, God the Father in heaven wants to have an amazing reunion with you. He wants you to come home. You will be well received. 
And when this guy in the parable shows up, the reception, again depicting God's reception of you through Jesus Christ, through the gospel, God's reception is extremely gracious and totally forgiving. You think of all the things the father could have said in that parable about the stupidity of the prodigal. And there's none of that there. Jesus says there's an incredible welcome home. That's our God. That's how God feels about you. Maybe you've never given your life really to Christ. Maybe you've been around Christianity but never really committed to Jesus. Maybe you're here as a Christian and there's something that's spacing you from God and a a walk with him. John said if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus' parable here says uh, it's, it's available to you. God wants you home. He wants you right with him. Whatever might be the problem, he is willing to be gracious and forgiving. That's the business he's in. Uh, this old hymn of invitation, our church back in Atlanta years ago used to sing almost every other week, it seemed like. Everybody virtually memorized, The Savior's Waiting. The Savior's waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? Time after time, he's waited before. And now he's waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. It's only two stanzas. The second one says, if you'll take one step toward the Savior, my friend, You'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all your darkness will end. Within your heart he'll abide. Time after time he's waited before. And now he's waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. The parable of Jesus shows us that God is waiting again. And he continues to wait. And he is extremely long-suffering or patient and gracious. And when someone comes home to him, it is not because they are worthy to be called his son or daughter. It's because he is gracious. And we operate not on our worth and our merit, but that of Jesus. And on the basis of Jesus, we're received by a heavenly father with arms open wide. And Jesus says, I want you to respond to me like that. And those of you that are parents, I want you to parent like that. And forgive and forgive. and Don't be naive and and don't be facilitators. We're not talking about all of that. But you need to be unconditionally loving and forgiving and gracious. That's the way God is. That's what God calls us to be. I want to ask you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Father, we're grateful this morning. We marvel at the simplicity of Jesus' parables. These simple little stories that teach such incredible truth. And Jesus leads us this morning to the point of our responding toward heaven, saying we thank you for your amazing grace. That we're saved by grace through faith. We're sustained by grace through faith. We will go to heaven someday by grace through faith. You have called us, you've encouraged us, you've enabled us to respond even to your call. We're grateful for your amazing love for us. Lord, would you help us in our own personal walk with you to respond to Jesus' message today and again tomorrow. 
And would you help us in our homes to be gracious like that, uh, to be receiving and encouraging and loving and uplifting? We grow carnal, we grow foolish, we do stupid things, we say stupid things, we think stupid things. Cleanse us, Lord. Help us to think rightly. Help our hearts to be like this parable's Father, that we might increasingly glorify you in heaven. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.